Hey everyone, welcome to Admit One with G-Money. Today we have a very special episode. It is the one year anniversary of the podcast. In September of 2021, I started live on Twitter spaces under the cutting edge with guests like Gary Vee, Nadia from Pussy Riot, and Don Diablo. As the G-Money community advanced and the NFT space grew, I felt like the podcast should evolve with it. We introduced Admit One in May and have had guests from Timbaland to Seth Green to Board Elon. So I couldn't think of a better way to kick off the next year of the show other than some of Web3's most influential and thoughtful leaders. I'd like to welcome Avery Akineni of Vayner3, Derek Edwards of Collab Currency, and Matt Medved of NFT Now. Hey, everyone. Thanks for, thanks for coming on and thanks for taking the time. Um, yeah, Great so I, I, I guess I, you know, we'll go around the horn real quickly. I'd say maybe like, you know, uh, quick 60 second, two minute, uh, introductions for those, uh, who don't know who you guys are, would love to, to kind of get the audience so that they understand that, you know, that we are actually talking to some of, uh, I think the best and brightest minds in web three. So Avery, how about we start with you? Yeah. Well, first, thanks for having me and thanks uh, everybody for tuning in. I'm Avery and I run Vayner three. And Vayner3 is a Web3 consultancy focused on helping enterprises figure out what's happening in this wonderful world. Um, we, too, launched just over a year ago in, in June of 2021 as Vayner NFT shortly after Friends, And I have the pleasure of, of helping sort of enterprises navigate this space. Awesome. And, and Matt with NFT Now? Hi, I'm, I'm Matt Medved, uh, co-founder and CEO of NFT Now, uh, premier publication for NFT coverage and curation. Um, prior to that, uh, I founded Billboard Dance, uh, Billboard's dance electronic music brand back in 2015, uh, ran Spin Magazine as editor-in-chief, uh, and then ran content uh, at Modern Luxury, the lifestyle publisher. Uh, bought my first Bitcoin in 2013, uh, became really focused on the intersection of music and blockchain um, between 2016 and 2018, and then uh, Blau pulled me down the uh, NFT rabbit hole in 2020, and here I am. Amazing. And, and Derek? Yeah, my name is Derek. I, uh, I, I'm a partner. I run a fund called uh, Collab Currency. We invest at the intersection of Web3 and consumer. Uh, we're early investors in things like Super Rare and Art Blocks and Axie Infinity and Bright Moments, Async, uh, things like this. Um, I'm also one of the early founding members of Flamingo DAO, uh, along with a number of other investment DAOs in the space like Noise DAO and Neon DAO and Red DAO and things like that. Um, and then also a large NFT collector and uh, a friend, uh, friend of G's. Yeah, no, thank you. And uh, I see you're wearing a, a bright moment hoodie right there, right now, right? Is that are those uh, crypto donations? I, I am. Nice. Yeah. Well, these are all uh, all different types of crypto citizens. Oh, okay, cool. Are you going? Are you going down to Mexico to to mint? I am going to Mexico City to mint. I'm very excited for the next Bright Moments locale. Uh, doing a back-to-back -back trip, first in uh, Marfa for the Art Blocks weekend, and then uh, straight to Mexico City to, to hang out with some of the Bright Moments folks, and hopefully crossing fingers, mint the next Snowfro long-form generative piece. So pretty excited about that two-week period. Good luck. Amazing. I, I, Thank is, you. Is anybody else? <laughs> yeah, good, best of luck. Is anybody else going to Marfa or any uh, either of those events? Uh, I'll be at Marfa as well. Wanted to. I'll be jealously following along. <laughs> All right, cool. Yeah, I'm 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 going to Marfa as well, but I, I don't think I'm going to be able to make it to Mexico City, so I'll be following along virtually for that. Um, yeah, I, I guess you know I wanted to to start the the conversation off with you know the current state of the market, right? Like I think uh, you know when when NFTs hit the scene uh, last year, right? When they really, really I think started hitting the cultural zeitgeist. Um, 
you know, prices exploded. There was a lot of hype. There was a lot of enthusiasm. And I know I experienced this on, on my end. Uh, and I'm sure you guys did too, is like, as people were learning about it, whether it's a celebrity or a brand or whatever, they kind of, there was like a lot of FOMO, right? There was like, Hey, how do I get involved in this? We needed NFT strategy like yesterday, you know, we have to drop this tomorrow before like our competition does it. Um, you know, and there was a lot of hype. Uh, and now I think like a lot of that hype has down, died down on the surface, obviously, because, you know, there's a bear market in crypto along with like every other asset class uh, on the planet. But I, you know, I wanted to, to get a sense as to what you guys were thinking of the market at this point in the cycle. Uh, Avery, let's, I guess let's start with you. Um, I think you chime in from how enterprises are sort of thinking about it. So brands, companies um, couldn't agree more. I think when, uh, since our core business at Vayner is actually an advertising agency where we make like Super Bowl commercials and, um, you know, Snapchat ads and, and all different things like that. So like that's, um, you know, where a lot of the uh, Vayner fam has kind of grown up. So we've worked with brands on all different things. And in a lot of cases, we were the first people to ever talk to them about an NFT and really explain what was happening. VFriends was the first use case where they could really start to understand it just because they know Gary so well. Um, and I do think that created this huge wave of like, my KPI is to launch an NFT by Q4 of 2021. Um, and a lot of like interest and enthusiasm of doing something fast. Um, I think that there's two things happening right now. One, there's a a sort of general cool off from companies who were like looking at it from that sort of PR headline because they realize those headlines can go two ways. It can be great and amazing. And then we've also seen some very negative and polarizing headlines um, because of, you know, impact uh, of a number of different factors. Second thing that I think is happening is companies are thinking about the Web3 ecosystem more broadly. That was a, you know, a big trend that we started to notice in early 22 is when we're talking to our partners, it's not like you can just do an NFT if you can't take crypto, if you can't really think about decentralized structure, if you're too afraid to open a Discord. Um, so I think that uh, it's actually a good thing because the companies who are participating now have seen examples of successes and failures, um, and they uh, can sort of reflect into really building a long-term strategy. So at least what we're seeing at Vayner is a lot of interest, like more dedicated interest, but less sort of, you know, quick activation um, KPI type thing. Oh, yeah, I, I agree with Avery. Um, you know, I, I think that uh, what we saw during the bull run um, was, you know, a lot of noise and a lot of people trying to figure out how to capitalize on this, you know, exciting new movement. Um, now that we're in a bit of a bear market, um, there's less noise. And I think that's a good thing. You know, people say bear markets are for builders. I think it's really true. Um, I think people can hone in and really focus when um, when you get when that noise kind of dissipates, when all those shiny objects kind of fall by the wayside. And I think from the perspective of brands and the like, there's less of that like there's less of that pressure to enter this now and and you know that short term mindset that I think could actually be really fatal to a lot of brands it, you know who who don't navigate it properly um you know I, I think brands and, uh, and and actors are now taking their time uh and and really trying to understand um this climate this technology and the real potential and actually bringing more of that long term mindset that I think they're going to need to succeed yeah, I'll just uh, I'll just jump in there. I love what Avery and Matt said. Uh, I actually have um, yeah nothing more interesting to say than what they've already covered. Uh, the only thing that I'll add is uh, in times like this where you know it seems like the technology has a little bit less enthusiasm, or we've seen a little bit of retrace in folks that 
are coming in and rushing through the doors trying to grok and grapple with what's what's going on here i think it's always important to remember that this is the first time in human history we've ever been able to have digital objects have digital scarcity and build property rights on top of them and that fundamental technology isn't going away and as people continue to stay in the space and experiment in the petri dish around that core primitive we're going to continue to see like persisted value get created even during times like this where there's you know macro conditions that are affecting prices of every asset class in the world uh, so my core belief that this technology is only going to continue to persist and ramp up has never been stronger uh, it's going to continue to, to um, you know, wrap the world's value flows. And so I'm, I'm still as excited as I've ever been about Web3 and, uh, and NFTs and, and this technology. Man, I, I love talking to Derek because every time, every time I talk to him, I get so bullish uh, because, you know, you're, you are so clear in your mindset <laughs> of like, you know, of like, yeah, this is, you know, like sometimes when like, I'm like, oh man, like I'll get frustrated. And I, I hop on the phone with Derek for like five minutes. I'm like, yeah, he is right. I'm like, this is, you know, this is the future. So I, I, I'm always, I always love talking to Derek for that reason. Uh, Derek, I guess from the investment perspective, you know, from the investment side, what have you been seeing, um, you know, from, uh, you know, project wise, like, you know, like I, I know everybody always says, you know, build in a bear. I, you know, launched my admit one in a bear, 90 CC in a bear. And, you know, I, it's, it's interesting, right? Because it's like, you don't know when things will turn. You know, I, I think eventually, like, I think we're all here because we believe in the technology. So we think that there will be, you know, we're at like the top of the first inning in terms of adoption. Uh, but I guess from an investment perspective, what have you been seeing? And, you know, what what have, I guess, some of the projects that have been getting you the most excited? Yeah. So I'll just say, generally speaking, um, you know, the deals that I see just like people experiment and I say deals to mean like people that are working on interesting stuff that are looking for capital to continue to form their business. Those haven't really slowed down. Like we're still seeing hundreds of deals a month. We're still seeing really amazing founders leaving web two projects or projects uh, that have done well in the past using traditional rails come into this space and experiment with the primitives that web three offer. And so uh, I don't know if that's a leading indicator or if that's um, if I can extrapolate like information from that, that uh, kind of says where I'm at. But um, the people that are playing with these primitives only continues to get stronger and stronger and more interesting. Um, so that's just the first thing I want to say. It's there's I think it reinforces my belief that this technology isn't going away, that people are still finding very creative and useful ways to create value in this inside of this environment. Um in terms of like what's getting me excited, I think we reached a point in this last cycle where we kind of um, we kind of sputtered out in terms of like the interesting ways people were using the technology to unlock value. And I think what we came out with was some really interesting use cases around store value assets. So things like on-chain generative art or historic assets like CryptoPunks that are still seeing massive value flows. Of, CryptoPunk Ape yesterday sold for four or five million dollars. So people are still storing wealth inside of these assets. We also saw a lot of experimentation around capital formation and um, and being able to com form communities around like these PFP projects. We saw a lot of interesting stuff around gaming assets. Uh, but outside of like some of these these early use cases, there wasn't that much sophistication around like how the NFT wrapper could be used past that. So the things I'm most excited about right now are things where 
are that are playing with like what is the preferred way to wrap these objects how can we modify these contracts in order to upgrade them over time or to modify them or to make them more responsive to how people use them what are the ways we can improve the, the ways communities form uh, in order to unlock new types of value inside of these these environments um, so those can span categories like fashion can span categories like gaming it can span categories like irl on-chain behaviors that flow back and forth um, so those are kind of the the things that i think are most interesting right now but continue to see innovation on in all corners of the space right and, and to that point right like i think one of the things that i find the most exciting is uh you know when i'm looking at these projects and you meet people you know that are founders or that are on the founding team a lot of them are coming from like your traditional web two companies, right? Like the Fang, uh, the Fang companies and, and stuff like that. And like, you know, the, I think the in, really interesting thing is that a lot of these companies, they're very, very focused on UI and UX, right? Because you want to make something as simple as possible for the consumer because the, the, the less steps and the more simple you can make it and the, the cleaner you can make it, the more likely you are uh, to convert somebody from browsing in, into buying something and being part of your ecosystem. So when I see a lot of these people coming into the space, to me, it's like, oh, this is amazing, right? Because right now I feel, I, I still, I feel like we're in the internet, like 19, pre-1996, right? Like pre, even before like AOL and CompuServe, right? Where it's like, it's just a bad UX. It's a bad, you know, you have to be somewhat of a techie in order to understand how things are going. So I think the fact that uh, we have a lot of these engineers and front end devs that are very interested in the space and are, are coming in means like that UX problem, it's only a matter of time until it starts to get solved, right? And so it's like the rails will still stay the same, but ultimately like the that front end problem will get solved because you have a lot of really, really smart people working on it. Um, I guess along those lines, like Avery, like what is what have you seen, I guess, on the agency side in terms of, you know, I, I think the interesting part is, right, like people are no longer focused on that KPI of like, we just need to drop an NFT like, right now like what what are what are companies i think starting to focus on on their end uh in terms of what they're trying to accomplish yeah absolutely well it's funny you mentioned um fang employees sort of coming over into this space i'm actually a former googler and uh, the number of colleagues like ex-colleagues that i see at nft conferences is crazy like you know people that i worked with like 10 years ago five years ago are, are now like flooding into this space and i think the same is true for many of those companies um, so where I think that it's funny because when I talk to people like you all who are like in this space full-time professionally, or, you know, talk to that like crypto Twitter community, everyone is all like talking about the bear and how, you know, how everyone's navigating it. If you look in the other direction, um, that's, that's not what people who are joining this community necessarily see. They actually are like, wow, this is this place where everybody is coming together to build this new thing and build this new internet. And, you know, on a personal note, I live in Miami and I was talking to the mayor yesterday, um, because, you know, I lived in San Francisco in 2010 when like there was so much like excitement and like everyone focused on sort of that Web2 ecosystem. We're talking about how Miami is, you know, they're moving Silicon Valley to Miami if, if uh, the mayor gets his way. And there's a lot of that same enthusiasm there of people who are recently relocated to a new city to with a passion around this sort of specific subculture. Um, so to me, actually, while I'm certainly aware of the like financial you know, what's happening in the financial markets, like my day to day is actually way more focused on people who are super pumped about this and who are not looking at it as, as sort of like purely financial as a lot of people who've been in this space for a couple of years. Um, so broadly, that's sort of my observation is it depends where you look, um, because 
uh, you know, companies like, you know, Meta and Google pouring billions of dollars into this um, is interesting. And at the same time, I think is causing sort of two parallel tracks of innovation. Um, some sort of like pure Web3, Web3 purist, I would say, like, you know, really cool stuff that's happening on chain um, with major companies like uh, what Christie's announced this week with Manifold, um, I would say is far more in the direction of purist. And then at the same time, we see, you know, companies like uh, Meta enabling NFTs across their platforms globally, right? Which is way more in the direction of like Web 2.5 or, or starting to allow a little bit of Web 3 into, into their billions of users. Um, so I think those two things are interesting and, and our role as sort of advisors to our partners is to help them decide where the right place for them to play is. And it's going to be a little bit of a spectrum depending on, you know, what the business is and what they're looking to do. Um, but I, I think it's one of the major misconceptions people have around why enterprises want to play in this space is, you know, to make immediate money. Do you know this because you've been in, in some of this too? Yeah, a little bit, but that's really not the motivator of, I would say, 90% of brands who are in this space. They're really looking at this as a way to, you know, take their brand into the next iteration of consumer behavior, not make like a couple million bucks. So um, I think that it's, uh, we'll continue to see programs that are built around scale versus scarcity coming from these sort of uh, more enterprise level programs enabled by a mix of web two tech and web three tech. And then sometimes a place that's kind of in the middle. Right. I, I think that um, to your point, right? Like I think that from the conversations I'm having with a lot of the brands and I'm, as I'm sure you guys are, almost none of them are focused on being like, Oh, like how do we, you know, profit off this, right? Like they're still, they're still learning, right? It's still like a learning process and they're like, all right, well, <clears throat> you know, and, and now a lot of the conversations I have is like, we're going to reinvest all the proceeds back into the project. Right. And it's like, yes, this is exactly what you need to be doing. Right. Like you need to be building out that community and understanding that this is like the next iteration of how brands interact with consumers. Right. Because like, I think it's really interesting. And I think all these brands are like super, super motivated by the fact that, you know, they're, you know, they'll, their discords, you know, they'll open up a Discord and they'll tweet about it or something. And there'll be like thousands of people, tens of thousands of people that are in there instantaneously. And they're like, wait, like we never get this kind of reaction across any of our socials up until now. And now we have like a dedicated group of people that are rabid, that are rabid ambassadors that like are like, that are interested enough to, to, to put part of their time and their day to take part of this ecosystem. I, I think it's really, really interesting. But to your point is like, the most of the conversations I'm having, nobody's nobody's focused on the profit, right? Again, I think they realize that it's super early and that they really just want to get a handle for the ecosystem and and really be authentic to who they are. And so, like uh, along those lines, Matt, like what is, what have you been seeing on your side? And you know, I know you guys just announced uh, the NFT now nucleus uh, at Art Basel. So, can you talk about that uh, for a little bit? Uh, tell the audience members what's going on there. Um, and, you know, I guess you've been having a lot of conversations with legacy brands on that side as well. And like, what's that been looking like? 
Yeah, no, it's been really exciting. So um, just for a little bit of background, for those who don't know, um, you know, last year we had, uh, we partnered NFT Now X Christie's uh, for The Gateway, which was uh, our, our kind of land, landmark kind of flagship event during Art Basel Miami. Um, and to symbolize uh, creators taking back the power from the financial system, we took over an abandoned uh, floor of a bank building in Miami, transformed it into a 23,000 square foot audiovisual gallery, had all the top artists coming through, Blau, Zach Bia, and Right, power performed people through was just so, so many incredible artists um and it was a really special mo uh, moment actually uh ethereum's co-founder joe lubin was there and spoke too and afterwards he told me in his words um that it was one of the most significant incursions into the legacy world that he'd seen uh and so we knew that we really wanted to build on that foundation um for the gateway um just taking a step back the vision for the gateway comes back from this idea and, and this this feeling I was having, um, and 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 my co-founders Alejandro and Sam and I were discussing um, of of a long-term future for this space. Uh, I'm a big believer that we are all part of the last generations to grow up without digital ownership from day one. Uh, future generations are not going to have the same hangups uh, as we do. They're going to grow up owning things physically. They're going to grow up owning things digitally. They're not going to compare and contrast the two. They're going to appreciate them for their own unique strengths and appeals. Um, and so we're already seeing that like Gen Z gets it already better with Roblox and Fortnite and all that. But like, you know, when we look at the traditional art world, we, you know, uh, there's, there's a lot of uh, confusion and fear and like misunderstanding from that world. I sometimes joke, like if the only thing I knew about NFTs were what I read in the headlines, I might not like them either, you know? But um, so the gateway was about like, creating this glimpse into this future, this not so distant future, uh, where the traditional art world and NFTs and the digital art world coexist in creative harmony um, and about extending that welcoming hand. So um, it, was a, it was a really, really special event. Um, received so much great feedback. But one thing that we really felt was that um, there's so many incredible projects and partners and and friends and, and, and creators who are doing amazing things in Web3. And we were like, we really want to bring everyone together. Like Art Basel last year, it was great, but it felt a little fragmented. There were parties all over the place. And so we were like, how can we turn this into a nucleus so that you know that's kind of the theme for this year's uh gateway um and create what we're calling like a web3 metropolis and so this year it's much bigger um you know we're partnering with mana common um we are taking over two city blocks in downtown miami uh 12 buildings uh a number of, of very exciting partners who are very excited to uh to unveil um it's powered by moonpay so very very happy to have their support there and it's really about creating space for all of these different incredible projects and different uh, creators to have their to be able to kind of create their own their own um, portal into that into that future as well, um, and so it's been incredibly exciting um, to to build on that and also bringing in both crypto native and um, legacy brands into understanding what we're doing, um, and I, and I think that you know by you know I'm, I'm a big believer that we are all stronger together. Uh, and that by like this, this whole, the space was found, was like founded on this foundation of cooperation and community. Um, and that, those are ethos, that, that's an ethos that we want to continue to really champion and uphold as we, as we continue to grow and build um, this sort of like this presence uh, and continue to establish this gateway to the mainstream market. Um, because, you know, the mission with NFT now is empower the creators of culture and help bring NFTs from niche to mainstream. So we're here not to just preach to the choir. We want to help convert the masses. And the gateway is one of our most important um, uh, 
uh, properties for doing so. Yeah, the the trailer was great. I uh, I retweeted it yesterday, but I'm <clears throat> I'm really excited about it because I do think by getting a bunch of you know like I was at our Basel last year and everything was all over the place. So and if if anybody has not been to our Basel, uh, it is. I don't think I've ever seen such a clusterfuck anywhere in my entire life in any city because like these, you know, you're talking about like what's usually like a 10 or 15 minute drive takes like an hour and a half. So it's, it's, it's pretty insane. So I think the fact that you're able to kind of create this nucleus, right. Of all these of web three in this one area where if somebody does have an interest uh, in web three, much like, you know, if you, if you have an interest in art, right. In contemporary art, you want to be in South Beach, right? You want to be at Art Basel and Scope and and all the surrounding art fairs there. Like, I think uh, being able to carve out like a niche area that is just focused on Web3, I think is super, super powerful. Absolutely. And, and it was also important for us that it be a, 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 a five-day event. That way people can go to these other areas as well. It's not like they have to pick their battles and the like too, we'll be there. So, you know, if you want to go check out the art and art puzzle, go do so, you know, um, and we'll, we'll be around in downtown waiting for you. Perfect. I love that. Uh, Avery, does Vayner have anything planned for our puzzle? Or is can you not, can, anything you can talk about just yet? <laughs> Yeah, we haven't announced it yet, but we are doing something at Art Basel. Last year, we did a couple of parties, and uh, similar to to what you guys were just saying, it was a, kind of a bit of a clusterfuck where we were like going between South Beach and Wynwood, and and you know Gary was spending half the time in a car. Um, so this year, we are going to do something which I think will be great. Um, that will be much larger scale, but only one day. Uh, so we'll get plenty of time to check out what Matt and the NFT Now guys are doing. And I think so many like projects and you know, groups are doing some really cool events and activations. So as Miami local, I'm, I'm really looking forward to it. Amazing. And what's been, I guess, the reception from uh, the mayor uh, with regards to this? Because I know, I know the mayor has been into crypto, but I guess NFTs in general, like what's, what's their, their thought in, in his office? Yeah, for sure. So Francis Suarez is the mayor of Miami. He's amazing. Keith Grossman, um, who's a huge ambassador for the space and you all know him very well. Um, you know, pulled us uh, together recently for something. We were chatting a little bit more in depth um, about sort of the future of Miami and as it relates to Web3. I mean, I think Miami's had some like major wins. I believe two days ago, FTX um, just uh, announced sort of moving their headquarters to Miami, which is a big deal. And and there's been like an infusion of, of capital coming in from sort of some of these Web3 companies, which I think is amazing. On the NFT side, I just wanted to give like a huge shout out to the mayor for like going to all of these small events. Like everybody knows the big stuff, the like going to something for Art Basel or like when there's a celebrity there. But, you know, even there's a, a local project called the Tuttle Tribe, which is a Miami sort of female f- uh, founded project. And he actually went to the launch of that. Like he is so like truly in the community himself, brings his wife and family along Um to those. So I think he's a huge ambassador for, for all things really Web3, whether that's crypto and, and his enthusiasm for Bitcoin or the NFT communities that are, are starting to spring up in Miami. Perfect. Uh, I, I love I love hearing that. that. And I think that like that's that's why I think you've seen a lot of uh, people moving obviously over towards Miami is because they've been so pro-crypto uh, that I think at some point you're going to reach that shelling point uh, over time where you know, it's, it's going to be, it's, I think it's going to become one of the next, you know, Silicon Valley uh, startup kind of like oasis especially on the East coast. Um, I want, I want, yeah, 
Yes. Yeah, and I think there's a lot of like Web3 startup space there too, which you guys all know, but that helps sort of breed the culture. And also sometimes they move between different companies, start their own thing. Uh, Derek as an investor, I'm sure is, uh, you know, hoping there's some unicorns born there. I know I am too. <laughs> um, yeah, so I, I guess for there, you know, I want to like shift the conversation a little bit. There's a couple of things that I, I wanted to touch on. And I know we have like some of the brightest minds in the space here. So I want to talk about this. Uh, the first thing I want to talk about is the CCO debate. Um, you know, I know this is something that pops up on Twitter every couple of weeks. Um, Derek, you know, I, I know that you're one of probably the most prolific collectors in the space. Uh, and I know you and me, like, we'll always jam on stuff like this uh, every few weeks. I'd love to know, like, your thoughts on CCO and, you know, owned IP and, and stuff like that. And, and your thoughts on that. As we've seen a lot of brands, one, either, you know, you have Bored Apes that gave people the rights to their stuff. You have Nouns that were CCO from the beginning and you have Moonbirds, which, you know, moved over to CCO uh, after, after minting and, and kind of like the reaction that the community had that I think was a little unfounded personally, but I'd love from a collector's and investor perspective, I'd love to like kick off the conversation about that. Yeah. Okay. So I'll, I'll try my best to kind of work through the merits of, of everything. Um, the first thing I'll say is I don't think that there is a single approach that exists. I think, these are how uh, creators treat their project is very much like using different tools in the toolkit to achieve different outcomes. Largely the, the rights and royalty or the rights and licensing structure for a creator's project can be narrowly scoped to very specific outcomes by how they optimize for using these different tools in the toolkit. So I think all of it should exist and I think creators should feel free to use whatever they think speaks the best to where the project is going. Now, uh, with that said, um, you know, I also have a fundamental belief that one of the reasons why Ethereum is such a powerful technology is because it has this credibly neutral infrastructure that exists beneath it. And anybody can walk up to the Ethereum blockchain and start building cool stuff on top and deploying contracts and permissionlessly do so in any direction that they see fit. And there is a power, a network that can get created when there is a freedom to build on top of something without feeling like that that power is going to be taken away from you at some certain point. So the analog that I would draw to CCO is that's that's conceptually what's going on with CCO projects or projects that decide to move in that direction. They've created this base layer. So in the case of Moonbirds or Xcopy or whoever is employing this tool in the toolkit, and they're saying, listen, this is a this is a very this is very much an like a, a a global technology that runs 24 seven and many of the principles that have seen this thing grow organically and has been emergent has become because people can build on top of this thing in whatever direction they see fit. Uh, so that's the, the analog I would draw. And I would say there's real power to networking your asset in that way, as opposed to tightly restricting it and saying, you can use it, but you can only use it for X, Y, Z, or you can only use it to commercialize up to this amount of US dollars, or you can use it, but you have to make sure that you check in with this centralized group before you launch this thing, because we might be launching that same thing and we want to protect our marks and, or we want to protect our rights to enjoy our exclusive ability to do this thing. So check with us first. I think when you optimize for you know, protection and exclusivity, you're probably optimizing for value creation at the centralized level, which I think is okay. When you optimize for something like networking your asset, you're optimizing for really emergent stuff getting built on top that may extend the power of the underlying asset in ways that are like previously unimaginable. And so I think uh, the, the overarching 
you know, statement I would make is there's lots of different ways to use the tools in the toolkit. And I think creators should use them in ways that they best see fit for where they want to take their project. Right. And I guess Avery, like, I guess Avery and Matt, both of you from the conversations you've been having with the brands, right. I feel like that is something really scary, right. Is like, you know, uh, how is our mark going to be used? What's going to happen with our logo if we open it up? Right. Because I do think that we've all seen the power of, of that, of the meme, right. Where if something gets memed and people can really run with it, uh, it is obviously super powerful, but like, what if, you know, like a noun ends up in, you know, an X-rated video or like whatever, right? Like that's really what, you know, these, these centralized systems are, are focused on. So like, what has been the reception, I guess, on the brand side? Obviously, I, I can probably answer that. They're probably very skewing very conservative. But do you think maybe that they would be open to doing something along those lines at some point in the future? Or like, what, have you had any initial conversations along those lines? Okay. So I think um, you're absolutely right, G. Um, I don't think that, you know, using a brand's logo, um, a CCO is probably going to be uh, the true for most um, publicly traded companies, the vast majority. With that said, there's two things that I think that they can do. Um, one is actually support CCO projects and like give sort of their stamp to some of those things. I think that's amazing. Um, and, you know, we've seen use cases of this. Um, I've, you know, we've, been working on something that I think would be really interesting in this. Um, but another example, you mentioned nouns, like we helped, um, you know, put nouns glasses in a Super Bowl commercial and then Bud Light get a noun, which like, that's something that shows that they're supporting this community, right? Even though they might not be able to make their logo CCO, they can support that community and sort of nod to it. I'd love to see more enterprises. And, you know, we touched on this a little bit at the beginning, but celebrities as well, adding credibility to what's happening in the CCO movement. Um, I think that's one way they can really help and, and you know, start bringing that into the more mainstream culture. I'm a huge fan of the Nouns team, Lil Nouns. They're amazing and a huge pleasure to work with. And then the second thing is, I think that they can empower creators to like have liberties of how they interpret their, you know, logo or their um, slogan or whatever. That's something that we've been doing in Web2 world forever, right? Where, you know, you give artists the chance to interpret something. And I'll give the Chicago Bulls a, a shout out for sort of what they did there, where they're empowering artists to be inspired by um, maybe what the brand um, or entity stands for. Um, even if they can't directly like go CCO, they can support those creators or um, you know, support those creators in finding ways to collaborate. Yeah, I think those are those are excellent points, Avery. Um, you know, one of the reasons why I know we're still early is because so many of the people in, in these debates um, tend to view NFTs as a category rather than the medium that they are. And they are a medium that is disrupting every category. Um, I believe it's going to disrupt every category in the future, um, fundamentally change how creators and their communities create and share value together. But what's funny is, you know, obviously we saw digital art and digital collectibles drive a lot of mainstream uh, attention and market volume, but they're just two of so many more use cases. Um, and if you think about it, all of these different categories, whether you look beyond to music, TV, film, um, literary NFTs, uh, even more mundane uses like, you know, government documents and, and record keeping, etc. Um, all of these different categories have different creative and consumer priorities. Uh, both in both in the pre-Web3 world and in the Web3 world. And as a result, they're all going to also have different, uh, like different sort of stakes and, and interests when it comes to IP. And that's okay. 
Like, I don't think there's any one size fits all approach and there shouldn't be, um, you know, CCO makes a lot of sense for a uh, Web3 native project like like nouns or cryptos. I'm huge fans of, 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 of uh, Punk4156 and Gremlin and all of the all the incredible builders in that space uh, love, love to see X copy go CCO. But that doesn't mean that CCO is the right move for every artist, especially an artist who's just getting started and hasn't reached that level of like cultural cachet um, that X copy has so you know to me I, I think it's really up to each individual project and creator to figure out what makes sense for them right um, I don't think there's anything wrong with CCO in a community-based PFP project but if if the uh, if people bought into it thinking that they were gonna have commercial rights um, I understand why some might not be happy to see that go away without having a say in it and that's obviously what happened with Moonbirds um, but that's not to say that CCO isn't isn't the right move I just think it, it really is up to each of these different um, creators and communities to decide um, where their values lie and and to have a say in that right yeah no and, and thank you for that I, I I agree with you guys I think that you know, there's different use cases, right? Like the, the, the fact of the matter is we now have all these tools at our disposal and you can then, you know, as a creator or as a project, you can choose, right? Well, this is the way I want to enact my vision and this is how I want to build on it, right? And like, you know, just like, I, I've even tossed out the idea and I'm not sure, Derek, if I spoke to you about this is like, you know, like what, like, and I, I'm sure my lawyers would, would kill me if I, if I bring up the conversation is like, what would it be like to CCO like, you know, the G money logo or the, you know, the 90 CC logo or whatever. It, I'm not ready to make that decision just yet because I want to see how things play out. But like, to me, it's like, you know, what, what happens with that network, uh, that network effect when you can allow people to kind of just build and, and do a really cool, amazing stuff um, on top of like the original idea. Right. And like, yeah, I think the, the Moonbirds um, debate is pretty interesting, right? Because they they obviously caught a lot of flack uh, for changing the CCO uh, after after the mint, and I remember listening to that town hall, and you know there were people that were like, well, I wanted to build commercial rights, and I wanted I had this deal um, with this um, with this brand, and that fell through. And like I've had I've had a lot of conversations uh, with a lot of brands coming into the space, and to be perfectly honest, like I I kind of agreed with I really agreed with Kevin's point of like. I mean, the asset is so cheap, right? Like if I was a brand coming into the space, I would just buy a Moonbird, right? Like I wouldn't license somebody else's Moonbird just because it was a Moonbird, right? Like it would be, maybe if it was like a significant Moonbird that was like a leader in the community that I'm like, I'm really aligned with this person, then sure, like let's do a partnership together. But like, you know, and this happened with Bored Apes and Adidas, right? Like Adidas bought their own Bored Ape, right? Indigo Hertz, and they're building IP around that they didn't license somebody else's board ape uh, to, to, to work with them. Right. So it's like, to me, like, I think that whole notion of like, Oh, I'm going to buy this asset. And then like, you know, deals are just going to come because I own this rare asset. I, I, it just fundamentally doesn't make sense. Maybe it made sense like a year and a half ago. Right. Like where, you know, there, you had ape follow ape, punk follow punk, you know, I, and communities have that, right. Where it's like, Oh, you have this as your PFP. I will follow you. But I don't think like people are like, oh, I'm going to buy this JPEG. And because I bought this JPEG, people are going to like listen to what I have to say. Right. Like, I think ultimately it's it's about the content that you have to say. Like, I, I don't think people would be, are following me just because I own a CryptoPunk ape. I think they're following me because the nature of my discussions and the things that I like to talk about. Like, oh, that's insightful. I want I want to follow this person and see what they have to say. So I think it's really interesting. I think people place that 
that mis misperception, right? And maybe even like place value on that really, really low probability of like getting whatever a multi-million dollar deal because you own the commercial rights to something, right? Like it's really, really most likely not going to happen, but maybe people are just holding out that hope. And I think maybe that could have been what it is that Derek, maybe I know you're, you're, you're very close. You were close to that situation. If you have like any insight on that or thoughts on, on that issue specifically. Yeah, no, I really, I really like what everyone has said on this topic. Uh, I love these conversations. Uh, I think uh, just to to piggyback on what you're describing, G, I think that's right. I'll also say I, it's it's not that I, I also will say like let's assume that this idea of a partnership or licensing someone's asset in the future is still a thing. I think what will end up happening is because the legal layer is very jurisdictionally bound. So we have a set of laws in the US, we have a set of laws in Europe, we have a set of laws in different countries across the world. It's really difficult to shoehorn these different legal layers into a technology that's actually very global. And so we we have a digital registry by which to connote property rights. My gut tells me because it's so awkward that we're contorting these, this, these different jurisdictionally bound legal layers into this licensing agreement that could possibly happen. My view is that what will end up happening is brands will uh, will opt in for something what I would describe, this doesn't exist, but I would describe it more like object-based licensing. So the fact that G-Money owns that ape is interesting to a brand. And instead of engaging in a legal layer, like documenting it on a legal layer in all of these different jurisdictions, what they'll do is they'll prove that they're in some sort of licensing arrangement or relationship with G-Money's ape on-chain in some way. Maybe they sign a transaction, just like a crude example of what that could look like. And that in and of itself achieves the flex that they're trying to achieve when they're selling whatever product they're trying to sell, whatever they're trying to market or whatever they're trying to, whatever arrangement they're trying to, to connote through the partnership. And that object-based licensing is way more elegant and achieves the same outcome for them than any other thing that they could document or paper in the legal air. Um, so my view is like we're we're headed to a world where like all of this stuff is going to exist, but more and more it's hard for me to believe that these trust minimized ledgers just don't usurp the role of what papering a transaction currently has done for the last few hundred years. I just feel like it's wildly inefficient trying to to shoehorn that into this technology. Right, and I think that's why you've seen <clears throat> kind of like a delay of bringing you know the the digital world into the physical is because you do need to like deal with those, those issues, right? It's like, as soon as you make something physical and I'm, I'm seeing this with 90CC, right? It's like, there are supply chain constraints. There are, you know, jurisdictions in with regards to taxation and all these things that like we have that framework solved. We don't necessarily have it answered in the NFT space because we're, you know, governments are still trying to figure out what to do with Bitcoin, right? And so, you know, here we are a couple iterations later, right? And like, it's like, yeah, like, you know, we can't expect any form of clarity for at least another three to five years on NFT specifically uh, with regards to different use cases, right? Because a lot of times like, oh, well, there's securities. It's like, no, well, if you're going to say an NFT is a security, then like you're going to have to start saying like every T-shirt at every store sold in in America is also a security. And like you, you really want to do that, like because that doesn't make sense, right? And so <clears throat> I agree with you. I think over time we're going to go more towards that. Um, you know, code is law 
right? And it's like, oh yeah, this is black and white, right? Like this is no no room for interpretation here because this is the way it was written, right? And I'm sure there will be, we're gonna need some sort of like dispute layer, settlement layer, <clears throat> how to figure that out. But I think uh, ultimately we're moving towards like a more on-chain thing that's like, yes, this is what you agreed to. You know, you, you literally signed the transaction. I think along those lines, I want to, I know we're, we're starting to, to cut back on, uh, come up on time. I want to talk about the creator royalty debate because I think this um, was really interesting. You know, I think part of what made NFTs um, so wildly popular was the fact that creators could experience in that upside. And in a bull market, right, everybody was like, yes, you know, like that, that was, that was the meme. That was the meta where everybody was talking about, yes, creators can experience in that upside. You know, they, you know, make something and the value goes up. Uh, and they should experience that upside because they created it. And now here we are in a bear market and it becomes very PVP, right? Where everybody is is out to kind of uh, protect their bag. And, you know, the, the there's if you're not profiting, you know, people are like, oh, well, creators shouldn't get paid. And, you know, you have seeing uh, the popping up of, of some exchanges that either pay no royalties to creators or have the option where you decide how much royalty you get paid to a creator. And I have a very opinionated uh, uh, thought on this, but I'd love to hear your guys' thoughts uh, on this, you know, before we really go into it. Matt, Matt, I'd, lo I'd love to start with you on this because I know you deal with a ton of creators uh, with NFT now. Yeah, look, I mean, when we, when we talk about artists specifically, like individual creators and all that, like to me, the creator royalty is just a, a fundamental right in the space. Uh, it's what separates this from uh, traditional systems that have largely been exploitative of artists and the creators of culture. Um, like we can't go back to the days where you have starving artists selling their pieces uh, cheap and then, and then you know, their, their pieces selling for millions later and them seeing no piece of that. That's just not fair. Um, it's not right. And uh, we're moving on from that antiquated system. The technology allows us to do that. And we as a community need to uphold that as a right. Um, one thing that, that I think is really interesting, when I first got into the NFT space, I was fascinated by uh, the medium native culture here. And we went really deep into the OG, like the OG crypto artists. And many of those OG crypto artists who originally established that 10% royalty you know, for, for artists um, understood that they were going to have to defend it in the future. They understood that 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 marketplaces were going to come, were going that that you know more institutional players were going to come, and they're going to try to erode what is I think one of the most compelling reasons why this space uh, you know uh, is is empowering to artists in a way that that traditional systems have not. Um, so that's like a fight I think the artist community has been ready for, uh, and and I think it's one that is worth fighting. That said, uh, I do think that creator royalties as a whole, similar to my point before, all of these different categories and different project types are not created equal. They have different consumer priorities. They have different creative priorities. So uh, does are there cases where for a uh, PFP project or a community-based project or another type project, creator royalties may actually hinder the advance, the, 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 uh, the, success of that project or the liquidity needed to, to, to see that to fruition, I can definitely see those cases and those arguments. And I think that each of those, um, you know, they're, they're, those creators and those projects have the right to set the royalties at, at what they like. But I think when it comes down to individual creators, artists, musicians, et cetera, um, the creator royalty is something that we need to fight for. Right. And so I, 
I mean, I, I'll, I'll pause right there for a second because I want to change like the top. I, I think pretty much everybody is in agreement that artists should get, you know, the royalty that they sent. I think that no matter which side of the, of the debate you fall on, most people agree that, hey, art is its own category. It should have its, let's say, 10% royalty rate. I think where the discussion comes from is from, you know, the 10,000 PFP projects, the projects that have a lot of assets that have a lot of volume, right? And that's where I think a lot of this debate comes from. So like, I, like, you know, Derek, like, let's, let's, I guess, start, like, I guess, framing it from that aspect of like these PFP projects, because like, I can make the case for both sides, right? It's like, <clears throat> okay, fine. You know, we have this meme, people are like, Freedom Mint, right? And this is what I did, admit one, Freedom Mint, but I have a 10% royalty because I made it free to mint, right? Like it's, you know, there, there was no upfront payment towards me, right? So it's like, you have the, the thing of like, okay, if you're gonna say, we're gonna sell this at a primary sale of whatever, right? Then I collect all the money upfront. And if I'm getting little to no royalties on the back end, then like you're just incentivizing cash grabs, right? <clears throat> but then people are saying, oh, well, you know, if there's a higher royalty rate on the back end, then like you're making, you know, it's a tax on people that are trading, but it's like, well, you know, if you, if you experience that upside, you know, that extra bump at the beginning, like at some point, like people don't work for free. Nobody does. Right. Like, and obviously people that are buying these things also understand that because they're trying to make a profit off of it or whatever have you. And, and that's why they're trying to cut out creators from the royalty structure. So like, to me, it's like, well, you, you can't have your cake and eat it too. And I feel like that's what's what's happening in the space where people are like, oh yeah, like I did buy this for really cheap. And, you know, I I, I also want to make more money off of it. So I'm just going to cut out what I think is a tax when it's like, well, that was part of the social contract that you signed um, in, implicitly by being part of it. So I kind of want to focus on it from like a larger collection perspective, because I think for the, for the most part, everybody agrees that like, if you're an artist and you're making one of ones and, you know, you make whatever, 20 pieces, and that thing goes up over time, you hopefully your collector values your work enough that they will give you whatever you say is your royalty rate. But I think it's more focused on maybe like the high volume uh, aspect of it, right? Um, Derek, I'd love to start with you on that. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I so I'll just start by saying I really like what both of you what both of you said, and I agree with largely everything that was discussed already. Um, as it relates to let's call it like businesses or non art projects that include royalties, I'm not. I my view is there has been so much value created through this programmatic royalty structure that would never have been created if that didn't exist. Um, and without replacing a different business model innovation into that value chain, I feel like not having that business model included as part of how value gets created in the space would take us a step backwards. I'll just like as a very crude example, the fact that Yuga Labs was able to put this royalty structure in place now is allowing them to unlock new categories of value by building the other side, by building, you know, gaming environments by, you know, starting to interact in more meaningful ways with what this thing that they've built can look like outside of the original art that they created as part of the board A project. And without replacing some other business model into that, what's going to happen is web three probably will just sputter out and not win. And like my view is web three should win. Web three is a much more elegant system. It's transparent. People, people can opt into supporting whatever they'd like just because a creator of a project or a platform creates a royalty doesn't mean that a person doesn't like has to interact with that ecosystem or that asset. They have 
the ability to look at the contract or look at the marketplace and say, I don't think that that seven and a half percent of that 10 percent is fair. I'd rather support this project. And at the end of the day, I think we should be supportive of however people want to create value in this space. Uh, and bypassing creator intent, I think, is taking a step backwards. And I also think not replacing it with a more interesting business model or a business model that's even a tenth as good just takes the whole space backwards and leaves me like uncertain about how things can get big in this space if creators of any type of project, platform, collection, anything, are able to persist if there's no revenue flowback uh, in terms of like the value that they've created on the outset. Right. Yeah. Like to, to me, right. Like I, I, it's just so interesting because you have these basically middlemen, right. That, that are basically cutting out creators, the people that are creating the value and they're cutting that out because they want to get market share. And then they're charging their fee as a middleman, as a rent seeker and being like, and trying to justify it. Right. Like to me, it just, it blows my mind that this is even a topic. Right. And that, you know, creators are, are kind of getting the short end of the stick with this. And to me, it's like, what, what the way I see it is like, you're having people that have this technical advantage because they can code and they can read the smart contracts quickly and easily and spin up something to, to, and they use this technical advantage against maybe a team or a creator that is not as technically advanced as they are and, and are cutting them out because like, oh yeah, well, okay, you can like figure this out and you can like, you know, brick the NFT or like not allow them uh, to be available to get, you know, the, the utilities or something that, that get part of it. But like, oh yeah, you have to hire a dev or you have to spend a lot of manual hours trying to, trying to like police this. Like to me, it's like, I think we're going to, we're going to have some sort of suite that comes up that is going to allow a creator to be like, oh yeah, like you traded on this platform that didn't pay a royalty. Like, you know, this NFT is no longer eligible to be part of the community rewards program. You know, like, I, I think that something like that is going to allow creators to quickly and easily that aren't technically advanced to fight back. And I think that needs to happen in order to like level the playing field a little bit, uh, because I think you have people with technical know-how just taking advantage of that. Yeah. And gee, I, I'm sure many of you guys saw, um, but that's actually starting to happen. The creators are fighting back and they are actually blocking certain marketplaces um, in their contracts. Um, I would love to see that sort of scale out because you're right. Not everybody has access to those technical resources and has the know-how to do that. But I think that's also in the creator's control if it's something like a new mint. Um, and I'd love to see, uh, you know, Matt, Matt called this out, but creators are aware that people are going to challenge them. We all know private sales happen. That happens every day. Um, but but not institutionalizing it, I think, is an important obligation of, of a lot of the thought leaders of Web3, not institutionalizing a way that artists and creators can be you know, stripped of, of the royalty opportunity for what they've been building. Right. And, and you know, to that point is in what Derek said earlier, right, is like, as a consumer, you can choose, you vote with your wallet, right? So it's like, if you think that, royalty rate is unfair you just don't buy the project right like why why do you buy the project and then decide after the fact it's like oh well now i think the royalty rate is unfair but it's like you knew what the royalty rate was going in right and so or you know hopefully you knew what the royalty rate was going in i was you know like you want to make sure that those terms and conditions are are laid very clearly up front and i think you know you're going to see that over time where maybe ones that you know have less royalty rate get more adoption so then that leads to the plate you know to whatever the industry standard becomes but i think by cutting the creators totally out of it to me it's just really really unfair and it's very you know to derek's point is like 
it, it, we just go back to where we were before, right? We just go back to the world we were in. And that is not like the reason why we're here today talking about NFTs is because so many creators started coming onto this platform to, to build really cool things that they before like never had the opportunity to do because they could never fund their ideas, right? Because they couldn't sit there. You know, I'm, I'm going to use, you know, Justin Aversano for a second here where, you know, he originally sold, you know, uh, Twin Flames for $1,000 each. And, you know, at, at, at now he, he receives more in a royalty rate from one sale than he did from like, I think it was like a quarter, you know, selling out a quarter of the collection at the beginning. So to me, I, I think it always, it always like gets me going when I, when I talk about creative royalties, because to me, it, it's really a step backwards if, if we really start cutting out the people that are creating value uh, for the ecosystem. Um, before we go, I, I want to be cognizant of time. Thank you. Thank you for all for, for coming on. Is there, is there any, uh, last thoughts that, that you guys want to share bef before we, uh, log off? The only thing I'll add is, uh, it's been fun to hang out with Avery and Matt and UG as always, uh, loved the conversation. It's always, uh, fun to get such spirited, uh, insights when I'm on my first cup of coffee. Uh, so thank you guys for the enjoyable hour and I'm looking forward to Looking forward to continuing the conversation with all three of you. Yeah, I'll, I'll just say, you know, I think coming from the media world, I, I know what gets the headlines. You know, I know that the big sales, I know that, that these things tend to drive attention. But for those who are listening and are, are not have, are really kind of starting to, to make their way into the space, I would urge you to look beyond that and just think a lot about some of these more unsung stories. What excites me, what gets me up in the morning is when I hear about artists being able to make uh, a living off their own creative vision instead of client work, artists quitting their day jobs. It's, it's the more unsung stories of empowerment, Poet, poets being able to now build a collector base in the emerging world of literary NFTs. Like I can go on and on, but this, this technology has incredible potential to empower creators big and small. And I, I just want us to, to focus on and, and, and not only focus on the big one. Love it. Thank you all so much for a very fun uh, 6am call. It doesn't even feel like it. Um, like Derek said, uh, morning power up in G thanks for, thanks for bringing us all together. Awesome. Thanks for, for tuning in. I'm going to link all your guys' uh, Twitters in, in the show notes. Uh, so if, if anybody wants to uh, get more valuable insights from these people, make sure to, to follow them and, and keep up to date with everything they're working on. And again, thanks for coming on, guys. I, I thought this was an amazing conversation and you know excited to, for everything that everybody's working on and continuing this combo offline. But thanks for, thanks for hopping on. Uh, love you guys. And I'll see you guys. I'll see you guys later. All right, bye.